them to gather here as a community of Whitworth to remind ourselves of what's most important, you. Thank you that in worship, we can put aside the uncertainties and the craziness and, and uh, focus on the certainties of your kingdom. For your promises are not changeable or impulsive or unstable, but they're immovable. Your promises are secure and eternal. And we thank you that we can bring all of our hurts and our fears and our troubles and leave them in your hands, knowing that your strength and assurance are all that we require. Be, Lord, with this world. Be with those who are in worry of their very lives. Be, Lord, with those communities who are hurting, divided, and in desperate need of reconciliation and peace. Lord, I just pray simply for people who are hungry and don't have water. And I pray for those who are hungering for the end of corrupt practices, which actually hamper the delivery of aid and care and food because of crazy politics. Lord, we ask you to remember all the names and all the faces and situations that we have just been thinking of in our mind as we came into this chapel. We take a minute, the names, the faces, the circumstances of those people we know, the ones that are just on the front of our mind right now, and we say, Lord, be especially close to them. Surprise them today, we pray. We love you, and we're trying our best to trust you with every part of our life. Be with us as we continue to worship in your name. Amen. Welcome, everyone. I'm Forrest. It's great to be here together and worship today. As you know, as we are going through the semester, we are encountering Jesus in the Psalms, learning to live honestly before God. And last week, we heard from Beck about bringing our, an invitation to bring our whole selves before God, this God who knows us and pursues us and created us and delivers us. And today, we hear another invitation to this honest, raw living before God in our psalm. Before we go there, I want to tell you about when I was growing up in Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, we had two high schools in, in, in Boulder. So there was Fairview High School and Boulder High School. I went to Fairview, and as you might expect, there was a great rivalry between the two high schools, right? As they're the only two. And so every sport is the biggest game of the year, and, and we always, you know, you always want to win that game. Maybe a little bit like, like you experienced here with Whitman and Whitworth, right? And even the name, it's like, there's the, oh man, those guys, urgh, those girls, urgh. that's what it was like for us. We, we just, Boulder High, I mean, we just, we hated them. It's like, oh, them, again, in my senior year in football, we lost 13 to 14, missed an extra point and lost, and it was just heartbreaking, I, 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 you know, still hurts a little, not really. We, but when I thought of them, I mean, there really was this intense hatred. I hate those guys. And we kind of, they're the cheaters. They're the ones who don't do things right. They are always blah, blah, blah. And they were probably saying the same thing about us, right? But 
And then not to my credit, as I, as I went away to college and then came back and as worked as the director of high school ministry at a church there in Boulder, about a, a block away from Boulder High School, and got to know many Boulder High students and prayed for them and loved them. But still, when sports things would come up, I'd still have that feeling, ugh, those guys. I hate those guys. Ugh. And I got to coach football, and it didn't make it any better. So slowly, God's healed me from that. Don't worry. And, and I love them all. But that feeling of hatred, um, that feeling that we experience in a little way in those rivalries, it's a taste of a little tiny glimpse of the real feeling of hatred that we experience in our psalm today, in Psalm 137. Before we read our psalm, though, you need to understand, we need to get the context. So this, God has chosen to, to bring about redemption of his people through a certain family. So through Abram, God said, I'm choosing you, Abram, to be to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. And then through his, his children, Abraham and Isaac, and then Jacob, who was named, also named Israel, God said, I'm choosing you, Israel, to be my people. And as my people, you're going to be my light to the whole world, to show what it looks like to live with me in right relationship with me and right love for others. That's, that's who you're going to be. But as we know, sadly, the people of Israel, and we would have done the same, didn't live closest with God and right love for others, and instead rebelled and rejected God. And so we see in, in, uh, at the end of Second Chronicles, kind of a summary of what happens then. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent persistently to them by his messengers, the prophets, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, his land. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words, scoffing at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord against his people was so great that there became no remedy. So God sends prophets and others to warn Israel, come back, turn back to God, stop this worship of idols, stop worshiping other things, stop this injustice, this misuse of your power that exploits others, stop doing these things. But people wouldn't listen. And God warned them again and again and again, but they wouldn't listen. And said, God said, you're going you're gonna to be ruined. You're going to lose this land. I promised you, wake up. But they didn't listen. And so therefore, God brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, who killed their youth with a sword in the house of the sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or young woman, aged or feeble. He gave them all into his hand, all the vessels of the house of God, and all the treasures of the king and his officials he brought into Babylon. They burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces with fire, destroyed all the precious vessels, just desolated it, and took into exile all those who had escaped from the sword, took them to Babylon, and they became servants of him and his sons. This is the context of our psalm. This has happened. Everything is lost. We've lost our family, our loved ones. We've lost our home. We've lost this promised land from God. We've lost our place of worship. We've lost everything. It's all gone, and there is no hope. And that's where we pick up our psalm. These exiles in Babylon who are sitting there in that feeling of loss. Let's read it together if you will, again, with the church and the people of God throughout the, throughout the ages. It should be on the screen, hopefully. Nice. Ready, go. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. 
On the willows there we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they said, tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. O daughter Babylon, you devastator, happy shall be thee who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. I should have warned you about that last line. This is the raw honesty of the Psalms that this bring these full human emotions before God. And it's, this psalm is one of the, the lament psalms, the, the biggest group of psalms in all, of, in all the psalms. These cries out to God for help. Help, God. But it's honest. It's raw. But let's unpack it a little bit before we get to that, that end part. So at the beginning, we see these, these, these exiles sitting by the river. They remember Zion. They remember where they've come from. They remember the devastation. And then... To make matters worse, their captors mock them. It's like, you know, when you're walking and you trip, and your first reaction, at least mine, is you look, look up around. Did anyone see that? Does anyone else do that? Just me. Okay. okay. Well, why do we do that? Because we look around, and we know that if we look up and someone's laughing at us, it makes it doubly worse, right? Like, I'm an idiot who tripped, but now, you know, someone's laughing at me, the idiot who tripped. Well, that's what's happening here. They know they've lost everything, and here they're... they're, they're their captures. Oh, sing one of those songs about how great God is. Sing us one of those. Isn't God so great and so loving? Double pain. Pour it on. And then verse 4 through 6, they say, they say, no, no, we're not going to sing songs of joy because that would be pretending when things are actually terrible. We're not going to put lipstick on a pig and pretend that we're happy when we're not because this is horrible. Everything is lost. Things are not good. And then, verse 7 through 9, we hear that, that cry out, very human, cry out against their enemies. God, remember these Edomites. The Edomites, they were Jacob or Jacob and Esau. That's the descendants of Esau. They were, they were brothers. These, these should have been a relative. They should have stood up for us. But instead, they cheered Babylon on while they were conquering us. And then, re really, the Babylonians, the ones who really did this, Happy are those who shall pay them back. They killed our young. Happy are those who killed their young. Get them back. God, judge our enemies, they cry out. God, do to them what they did to us. We know you hate evil. We know you judge evil. God, do it to them. Show that you hate evil. Show that you want these to be right in this world. God, you hate evil. Show your justice. And so the psalmist affirms this God who condemns evil. God hates evil. The psalmist shows us God hates evil. The psalmist is confident of it. And the evil, in this case, is the Babylonians. God hates them. So God, do something about them. Fix it. 
dash their babies against the rocks. I don't know about you, but you hear that part up to then, and you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, stop those enemies. Get them, God, get them. But then dash their babies against the rocks? And part of me just goes, wait a second. Is that right? Is that really match? And so what we do when that happens, we read scripture, we always we look to Jesus. To Jesus, check, we check with Jesus. Jesus is the one who fulfills the law, right? Who fulfills the old covenant, who, who shows us most clearly who God is. So let's check with Jesus. How does dashing babies against the rocks fit with Jesus? And so, so we look at Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, the greatest moral teaching in the history of the world. And, and, so, and Jesus says, it says in, in Matthew chapter 5, so you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Yeah, exactly, Jesus. Get those guys. They killed ours, kill theirs. But I say to you, don't resist an evildoer. And if anyone strikes you in the right cheek, turn to the left cheek also. Okay, Jesus, well, let's, let's do something else. You've heard it said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Exactly, yes. Hate those Babylonians, kill them. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Hmm. Okay, enough of that. Maybe we just need to think of that, not what Jesus taught, but what Jesus did. Okay, so, so Jesus is in the garden. He's prayed the blood, sweat like blood. Tearing now, he's just been betrayed by one of his close friends. They come and arrest him, and disciples ah, ah, strikes with the sword, right? Maybe they're better fishermen than they are swordsmen because they somehow strike off someone's ear, which is pretty awkward. I'm not sure how you really get someone's ear with a sword, uh, unless you're really bad. But Jesus, I mean, yes, yeah, strike the enemies, right? Let's stop these guys. Fight with fight. Get them. Jesus stops him, rebukes him. And heals his ear. And then in, the, in, the, in the, the, the moment of Jesus' life, the very end, you see hanging on the cross, suffering, bleeding, suff- suffocating to death, instead of calling down legions of angels to free himself from the cross and strike down those Romans and those Jewish people who had, who had put him up there, he hangs there and says, Father, forgive them. But they know not what they do. So the psalmist says that God hates evil, but Jesus seems to embody this differently than we expected. So is Jesus soft on evil? Is Jesus, oh, evil is not a big deal. Was the psalmist wrong? No. No, God hates evil. But God's hatred for evil is actually deeper and bigger and more true than the psalmist understood. The psalmist just wanted babies dashed against rocks, but God wanted to go after the root. And that's exactly what God does. In Galatians chapter 3, we see Paul say this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. What's the curse of the law? Do you know what it is? The law was meant to lead to us in right relationship with God, right? But instead, the law shows us that we're evil. It shows us how far we fall short. The curse of the law is our evil, the evil inside of each one of us. 
It shows us that we don't love God and love others the way we were meant to. But Jesus, instead of striking us down, Romans 5.8 says, when we were enemies of God and his great love for us, Jesus died for us. We were the enemies. We were the evil ones. We are the evil ones. But Jesus takes on the curse on himself, takes that curse of our evil on himself to pull up the root. Last summer, we, had, we have a, 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 a lawn in our front, in front of our house, and um, we got crazy weeds. These things, weeds called black medic. I don't wish them on any of you. They spread everywhere. At least they have pretty yellow, little kind of yellow flowers, but they like took over our whole lawn. And so, so our family would spend hours out there. It would be like our family activity in the evening. Let's go out and pull some weeds, guys. You can imagine Esther and Bella were really excited about that. And so we're, we're pulling these weeds, and when we pull them, you know, you get the tool out so you get down and get the root because it's not helpful just to rip off the top, right? It doesn't help. You know that roots, you know things are going to come back and cover more. You got to get down there and get the root. That's what God is doing in Jesus. God hates evil so much that he's going to deal with the root. And the cross of Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's hatred toward evil. At the cross, God goes after the root of evil. Instead of just a band-aid of kind of ripping off the top and dashing some babies against rocks, instead, God goes for the root, taking on evil on himself in the sun, the eternal sun, carrying the weight of evil to death and into hell, the place of the greatest evil, so that from hell he could burst forth victorious, pull up the root, and make evil no more. This is how much God hates evil. This is God's answer to evil in Jesus. God hates evil enough to carry it on himself and die. And so the psalmist shows us that the psalmist was right in part. God does hate evil. But God hates evil so much that he wants to eradicate it. You guys come on up. God wants to eradicate evil forever. That's the promise of the cross. God does hate evil. And God invites us to join him in his hatred for evil. Hatred for evil inside of us. The evil that, that, that bubbles up in us of pride, of self-service, of, of self-hatred, of gossip and gluttony and lust. All this evil that's, that bubbles up inside of us and the evil that bubbles up in our world all around us. God says, I hate that. Come hate it with me. Come hate the injustice and the oppression and the, the slavery and the ways that the corruption t- uses power to, to hold others down, the ways that, that systems hold different people just because of the color of their skin from, from living into the flourishing God has for them. Come oppose that because I hate that stuff out there and I hate that stuff in you. God hates evil and he has shown us in the cross of Jesus that he hates it and not just that he hates it, but he has answered it. And one day, evil will be no more. That is our hope and our victory that we find in Jesus as we trust in him. God has conquered evil. Let's sing to the God who's conquered evil this day.